Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Like this show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysts, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, welcome back to the Life Wide Open podcast. Today we have an absolute legend on the show with us today. Uh, I'm going to give him a, a little introduction. He holds the world record for the longest semi-jump, Ironman the Baja 1000, and is the creator of the world-famous Nitro Circus. Please welcome Greg Godfrey. That was a fantastic intro. That's better than I've ever received. So well, thank you. It's pretty easy to give you a badass intro because you've done so many good things. So we did want to keep it short though, because the list is pretty long of yeah. things that you've accomplished it w- and done. It started longer. It started longer. We were doing a little bit of research. I mean, we knew we knew quite a bit, but we we're like, all right, we we'll, we'll save the rest for the podcast. But uh, it's your guys' world now. You guys are the ones claiming everything. So good job for you. We thought that it'd be best to start out by uh, thanking you. For all the inspiration that you gave us at such a young age with Nitro Circus, um, because without that, I don't think we'd be sitting here today. So we've really gone full circle. Yeah, to have you have you on have now. you sitting here in our podcast um, in our RV in your in your <laughs> in the parking lot of your house. I failed to get you guys a good spot, so we're in the RV. But thank I, you no, so much. I the think podcast it's great, is honestly yeah. great. Uh, right here is great. So if you guys didn't notice, we're we're not in our typical studio. Uh, well, for one, because it's pretty hard to get a guest on up in Cormorant, Minnesota. <laughs> um, but then for two, we're we've, we're on this two week long RV excursion. Basically, we're filming videos and and podcasts with. Where are you going? So is this your first stop? Yeah, yeah. Utah is our first stop. So we did twenty four hours through, just straight through, and we we ended we ended up sleeping at the at the Salt Flats. We got in at like four a.m. and we were planning on taking out the shifter carts and the bikes on the Salt Flats and you know, filming a video or at least a, a, a good bit. 
and we wake up in the morning. We're like, what's all this water doing here? <laughs> I know when you guys you guys were asking about the salt flats, I go, I bet you there's water on it because they're really temperamental. Because the way that water comes out, even in the middle of summer, that happens. But usually in the winter, it's, and they freak out if you go out on the salt. We read water. that. We right. read, we were about to do it. We're like, well, you could probably still do it. I mean, it's like three inches, but it, it'd still be entertaining. And then Ryan did a little research, luckily. And he goes, yeah, I guess uh, somebody got like, what'd they get? They got like a large fine and banned from national parks for five years. <laughs> and went to jail. <laughs> oh, really? And yeah. that was all yeah, based they, off they, of the video. Some Canadians... Posted a video of them taking their RV and a pedal bike on the salt flats oh. when it was wet. And they saw the video and they tracked them down in Wyoming and arrested them. So we were like, oh, dude, yeah, we would make it to Nevada if we were lucky and then get arrested <laughs> and end up in Vegas jail. <laughs> so do you guys know why they do that? Salt flats is pretty interesting. Why? Why they flood? Well, it floods, but why they don't want you on there? Why it's so cra- they're so crazy about it? Probably because they don't want ruts. Yeah, well, it's not necessarily ruts, but every year, so there's like six inches of salt that it lays a bed, and that's what hardens it. So if you go out there, if while that's getting done, yeah, there's kind of ruts, but it's more of imperfections. Right. That's how crazy they are. Because think about it. I mean, I you see. probably did. Yeah, 600 miles an hour. There can't be any imperfections <laughs> yeah. in the salt. So No, no kidding. Someone did 600 miles per hour out there? Right. I don't know what it is, oh. but something like that. Because that's where they set all the... All the fastest speed times right yeah that's the fastest place on earth but get this though so we posted the video of us taking our shifter carts on the salt flats and people were still mad that we were like (laughs) not just going straight they were mad that we did like donuts and like turned on the salt because they were like if you hit that at 200 miles per hour you could die yeah we're like it was was completely hard yeah it wasn't doing anything at all didn't do anything so yeah we were when we were talking about taking the bikes out and getting some cool wheelie shots through the water, we were like, man, they'd have a heyday with that yeah. one. Have you always been kind of this this adventure junkie like since a young age? I grew up with a racetrack in my backyard. So out towards the salt flats, my dad built a racetrack called oh, really? Bonneville Raceway. And so we used to they used to bring in since I was five years old, they'd bring in nitro cars. That's where the nitro and nitro circus came from. Because at a young age, he would make me sit in the middle of the drag strip and hold the light, you know, the Christmas tree. Yeah. So I've got two, you know, at that time it was 2,000 horsepower Just, slingshot wow. dragsters on either side of me. No ear protection, no nothing. <laughs> I'm just out there holding it up. My dad was like that, right? He's like, just go get it done. He he was an entrepreneur, and he, he built a trucking company, and then he built the racetrack, but he had some financial issues, and he lost the racetrack. And then the trucking company took off, and then later on when I was in high school, he got the racetrack back. So that allowed me to get back into the racetrack, and I started to realize, like, I grew up racing motorcycles. That is what I loved. I didn't, I could have cared less about a normal life, and especially trucks were so boring. Mm -hmm. To me, I was grateful I had that experience, and so, nonetheless, I went that route because I loved promoting, I loved excitement, I loved engines, I loved power, I loved insane. I mean, I would say I, I was, I'm not so much now, but I loved the chaos. Yeah. I mean, normal life was very difficult for me. I'm sure you guys understand. Yeah, yeah. we kind of feel the same way. How did you go from doing the chaos to capturing the chaos? When, when did you pick up a camera and start filming it instead of being the actual subject? Well, he was always kind of doing a lot of the stunts, <laughs> so it's not take. But yeah, so same as you guys. I mean, at the time, it was really difficult to film stuff. I mean, I'm so. I, I know. I'm when I saw people that were 52 when I was your guys' age. 
I thought they were ancient, so I'm probably ancient. We don't think that. Well. <laughs> so I would, we went up after high school, and I used to play all kinds of sports, but there was in the spring, I'd have some downtime. And so we wanted to throw double backflips on skis, and at the time, nobody was doing that. So we'd go up and build a jump in the middle of nowhere and just go for it. No, you know, we had no idea what we were doing, but we started filming it. Right. And people loved it, like, you know, the chaos. And that's mm-hmm. just, I'm sure it's how you guys started. Yeah. And so I went on an LDS mission to Italy, came home, and then I went to, went to college. And then as I went to college, I hated, like, I had to do a stats class and all this. Mm-hmm. I did, I was trying to take the normal route. I realized how much I hated it. So I went into film, and then, you know, that all began. I went and worked for Disney for, like, a year, and, and again, I hated that. Doing, doing what? A, yeah. I was a stunt, stunt guy. Stunt guy? Really? Yeah. I would do anything. I'd get them coffee. I just wanted to be in the industry. Right. So then after that, I realized that wasn't my route, and at the time, there, was a, there wasn't a lot of people doing those kinds of films. I mean, it was difficult because you had to shoot film. You had to process it, and it was just right. a lot of money. Like, my first film cost me $150,000. Wow, I didn't have $150,000, but I made it happen. Where did that money go to? It was super expensive to buy it. The cameras were expensive. So we'd rent, you know, I love slow motion. Now it's so easy for you guys. <laughs> and to shoot slow motion, it just ate up a ton of film, and then you had to process it. But it really taught me, because I would, I would shoot it, and I would take it down, and you'd sit and do the color correction and the processing. So you had all these chances to look at the the film and identify what you wanted, and that was kind of the process. And then I did three or four films, and it was just, again, nobody cared unless you're doing something completely insane. Mm -hmm. And so I took it to another level, and we were making a film called Children of Metal God, and that was like my first film series, and this was like 96. Again, I know I'm ancient. But we went, and this guy was a base jumper, and I said, let's jump off. The Grand Canyon, we totally poached it. We didn't get permits. We didn't ask anybody. Kind of how we roll. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just that's what you have to do, right? Yeah. But we went out to the Grand... I mean, it's its so bizarre. I think about it now. It's like a, I don't know, 3,000-foot three, drop, no safety equipment, Jeez. no nothing. I pulled the guy out of St. George, where you guys are going, with the helicopter, and he's like, do you guys have permits? And I'm like, yeah, 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 we're good. We're <laughs> that's good. what we do. That's <laughs> what we say when people ask for <laughs> forgiveness later. Yeah, you got to, right? Yeah. Well, you guys, you guys better be careful though, because you're on the you're on the radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah as <laughs> it seems like lately, we definitely have had to take more precautions and getting approved stuff. But so anyway, continue, this yeah. this guy Dave Barlia, he hucks himself off the canyon, and I just I was in the helicopter. I had another guy on the <laughs> canyon wall shooting it, <laughs> and this guy's just going into the abyss, you know, and. I did the best I could, Phil, and the, and the helicopter wouldn't follow him. Oh. I mean, nowadays they'd drop right in. Yeah. And, but we got the shot. We had to go down and retrieve him. Yeah. Thank goodness it wasn't a body retrieval. He jumps in the helicopter, and we left the bike there. And then NBC came to me, and they said, let's do a, you know, it was a highlighted stunt show. So I produced it for him, and I never told it. It's actually on the Navajo Nation. And I said, hey, guys, I you know, I, I hate to tell you this, but I did this like seven years ago and I left the bike at the bottom of the canyon. We retrieved the bike out. Seven years later. Yeah. And they wow. saw us pulling it out and I said, I'm sorry. And we said, please don't do that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got in trouble with the National Park Service. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a time down at Lake Powell when we were base jumping into the lake and Roner's doing this, this thing with Travis where, I mean, I, again, I don't know how we survived it. 
he was we did a huge thing into the Grand Canyon. We went and redid that. And then we went to Lake Powell. And it was all of this stuff, you know, off these 500, 600-foot cliffs, 200-foot cliffs. But there was a stunt. Travis was hanging on to Roner. And again, they did that free shoot thing. And he jumped out. And Travis didn't realize how far he was above the water because he was holding on to Roner. And he let go at like 150 feet. Just destroyed the whole back of his body. Lucky he was okay. But it was, again, the Park Service found out about it. They were coming after me with the federal, you know, really? warrant. Yeah. I went down, kind of laid myself on the altar and said, hey, guys, I really did do this. And they let it go. So if wow. that does happen, maybe that's it. Just a, be honest. Maybe that's an out. <laughs> Just be honest. <laughs> you had mentioned that you were you were making, you made three smaller films. How did that transition into Nitro Circus, I guess? Well, Travis and I did a film together. He was 18 at the time. So my last Children of Metal God, he was, it was just this time of year. And I went out and filmed him in Daytona and he's 16 years old, but he was, he was racing. There was always, he was always super fast in the whip sections because he was just tall and lanky and he can just kind of lay on the back of the bike and go for it. So he comes down this section in his qualifying round. I mean, he goes down so hard. He's unconscious. They pick him up, gets back on the bike, goes back to the pits, comes back in the LCQ, wins that, comes out in the main, wins the main. And I just said, I love this kid. Wow. So he was 16 when you met him? He was actually 13. 13. Wow. Nonetheless, we filmed with him in Florida at that time. And then I said, hey, you know, I got this project working on. It took me a while to get the money together. It was with a company here called Ogeo. And that was the biggest budget film I'd ever had at that point. Mm Ogeo? Oh, yeah. So they gave us half a million dollars, and we went and made a film called Global Addiction. So that's when it really started. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, all right, we need to build... And I love the word like nitro going back to my childhood. Mm-hmm. We got to build a project or you know some kind of a series around this. And Travis, of course, you ask him, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But he forgets about it in five seconds. But we went and did the first nitro. They hated the name. They hated the context of how we were doing it. But eventually it started getting traction and then everybody started to fall. That's like I always say, when you're building a brand, don't worry about the name. Because if you're putting the great content behind it, mm-hmm. the name will build. I mean, I, we were the same way. I remember, we're like, are we really going to be C Boys TV? Yeah. But we wrote it hard enough, and that it's a you know, it's a brand now. Absolutely. And I remember when you guys were out here two years ago, we had a lot of conversations about what you guys were going to go through and face. And man, you've done a fantastic job with your brand. Well, thank you. Just watching it from afar. Good job. Thank you. So when you were making these films. Did you just make each one as like a single project and then release that? And then it kind of just turned into more and it turned into the TV show from there. Or did you, when you were doing it, have a vision of like, I want to do a TV show and then a movie and then a live show? Well, you hoped, right? You mm-hmm. hope that's what's going to happen. I was going to back up and say one other thing too about you guys. The thing about you guys, is it's very difficult to do it alone. You've got to have, you know, four or five guys you can count on to go out and build this. But, yeah, we started – I had a friend of mine that was in a, that I grew up with, and he was an attorney, Jeremy, the guy with the black hair, if you remember yeah. him. So it was Jeremy and Travis and I, and then we got a guy that financed us. So it was the four of us, and then Andy Bell really helped too. I'll back up a little bit. When I was in college, I was super bored because I just – school sucked. And so I called – from my racing days, I called the people that promoted the AMA Supercross Series. And I said, do you guys have something that we can bring to Salt Lake and put in the stadium? 
because I worked with the stadium because it's a public school. If the student body votes on it, the athletic director can't shut you down. And so it was just kind of, for me, it was a challenge. So we got a hold of Supercross, and then we had a vote with the student body. Do they want Supercross? And they said they did. So at 23 years old, I promoted the largest motorsports event in Utah at Rice-Eccles Stadium at the University of Utah. So we did it two years in a row. Anyway, they they ended up going bankrupt, the guys that had the racing series at that time. So that went away. So I wanted to do something live. Definitely that live component was always in there. The movie thing was just evolving for me. And I didn't understand how much publicity, or which I say marketing, that movie gives to the live event. Yeah. But we were building that, and I sub- I think sub- subconsciously we were hoping. We were watching Jackass, and I'm like, man, those guys are killing it right now. Yeah. So by fate, we helped them do a thing with, uh, it was on Evil Knievel in 2008 with Matt Hoffman and Jeff Tremaine and Johnny Knoxville. It was a salute to Evil Knievel because that's when he died. And we all grew up with Evil Knievel. And Tremaine comes over to me and, and Trip Taylor, and they said, the guys that created Jackass. And they said, do you guys want to do a television series? And I said, yeah. Um, for sure. And within two weeks, I'm sitting in L.A., and they said, yeah, let's do it. It was, it was, they were so much like us. They were a little more... Uh, Fly by the seat of your pants. Well, they liked male-on-male contact, I'll say, <laughs> more than us. <laughs> but they, they did. They got us into Lauren Dolgen at MTV, and it was pretty quick. So that's how you got in with mm-hmm. them. I was, I was, that was one of my questions, was how do you even approach... Well, we had those guys. I mean, Knoxville was a god, and Derrick hadn't built up to be what he Knox- was. Yet. Yeah, Knoxville was the man, and he just he stamped his approval on it, and that's and Tremaine, and that was how it happened. So this is a pretty good story. So, and the evil Knievel thing on the MTV tribute deal, we broke his dick. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> and he would yeah, not because the backflip. Yeah. yeah, and I was the one holding. <laughs> I was the one holding him. He really had no idea how to even get to the ramp. And you could barely ride the bike. Yeah, and I'm like, just hit, we just put it in first gear, and I said, just pin it. <laughs> and I crashed, like, so hard twice. Couldn't even get to the ramp. And he's so focused, you know, and he's like, he's like a little kid. He wants to do a good job. He's, like, <laughs> he's just, I can do it. I can do it. And he's got this ridiculous helmet on. He's got, like, a sweater, letterman's jacket on. No pads. He wouldn't wear pads. The thing goes up, and the fender comes down, smacks him in the penis, breaks his urethra. There's blood all over the inside of his shorts, and of course he's got to show everybody with right. his dick out. And yeah. There's blood dripping oh, off God. the end of his penis. <laughs> I put him in the ambulance, and he's like, thanks, Travis, for breaking my dick. You know, the way it is. <laughs> yeah. So when we had that meeting, he had to cast for two years because yeah. he had scar tissue on his penis, right? Oh, so he comes out of the bathroom, and we're sitting there with Spike and Jeff and Travis and Jeremy and I, and he's like, he's he's bent over, so his cornhole is facing everybody, and he's got the catheter stuck up his unit, and he's going, see what you guys did to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, he is a character. And then Gosh. another time, I'm sitting there in the, and you know, they're, 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 they're very creative, I would say, and... We just had so much fun at that time, the MTV show. I mean, it was just a lightning in a bottle. Like, I, don't, I just, it'll never recreate of how fun and, and progressive that was at that time. What comes to mind when you picture the perfect roommate? One who comes when you call, one who doesn't forget to lock the doors, maybe one who doesn't steal your milk just a little bit at a time, hoping that you won't notice. 
At Apartments.com, they understand that when it comes to roommates, a pet can be your best bet. They're easygoing, they eat what you serve them, and they never clog the toilet. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet. And with instant alerts, you'll know the moment that your perfect pet-friendly place becomes available. Apartments.com has so many features like 3D virtual tours, the ability to save your favorite apartments, and with over a million places to rent, you are absolutely going to find the right place for you. Apartments.com knows that moving can be stressful, but by giving you options, filtered searches, and more, they can help take away some of that stress. When I need a new apartment, I will definitely need a pet-friendly choice. So if you guys need a place that's pet-friendly and human-tolerant, check out Apartments.com, the place to find your pet-friendly place. Thanks, Apartments.com, for sponsoring the podcast. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. But Knoxville was such another level of, like, entertainment. Like, I think you guys do a much better job even than we did is, like, friendship, you know. But there, there we missed that just insane, creative lovable personnel i mean you guys might have it better than us but so knoxville's like i'm I'm sitting in the office by myself writing something and it's in tremaine's office and, there, and there's dicks everywhere i mean he yeah, just I've has pictures that. of dicks <laughs> yeah. everywhere in his office and if the kids show up they put posties up post-its all over the dicks everything not that it does any i don't know what <laughs> i mean but knoxville thinks he's alone and he comes out of the bathroom i've told this story before i don't know if you guys have ever heard it but he he, he's reaching down in his pants and he's kind of getting, you know, the dick cheese right there. And then he pulls it out and he starts smelling his hand. <laughs> and I'm like, he's truly a 10 year old kid. You know, <laughs> he, just, he is, it, it, but that's what makes him so amazing. You know, and he's, it's, we learned a lot from him of how to just be a showman. Like we were all just so bent on getting the stunt done. I mean, it was mm-hmm. all about stunt, 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 stunt. And then those guys I'm watching them. I'm like, God, oh, we got to tell the story a little better. So I think in the MTV show, we did that a little better. I mean, it was still about the M- stuff. Yeah. The MTV show, is, I thought, did a really good job of that. And Jeff was a big part of that. So it was just, it was insane. I felt we, like we were a rock band, you know, mm-hmm. on tour. And it just, all the trappings and all the bad stuff yep. and all the good stuff that you hear, it was happening. It was happening. So then the live show comes. This guy comes over from Australia. And we were trying to get a live show. What year did the live show start? 2010. Okay. We tried to do the show with Feld. Do you guys know who Feld is? Feld Entertainment? No. They do Supercross and they do the Monster Jam and they're like okay. a, yeah. they're a couple billion dollar company. And when they said, we, we took it to them and they said, it'll never work. Same thing, right? Same thing you guys right. face. It'll never work. And I'm like, well, okay. This guy from Australia comes over and he starts saying, well, you know, I think we can do this, this, and this. And it's like, all right, let's go. He paid us a few dollars to, to get the initial rights and we built this business out and he knew what he was doing. I mean, he was really good, but he just took our videos and just turned them into a live format. You know, some, some ways I look at it and say, well, that was easy, but you know, without him name is Michael Porter, we wouldn't never have done it. So I am grateful, but you know, that's when it turned into a hundred million dollar company, the live tour, the live shows. yeah, the live tours would exploded. 
Yeah, you guys are selling out stadiums. Yeah, it's Chandler was part of that. I mean, we were. Yeah. The, I mean, again, your whole family. You yeah. had your your nephews and everybody. Even didn't your daughters even yeah. do some stunts too? Like <laughs> your whole family is just <laughs> my daughter. That's a funny story about my daughter. We were so this tour starts. We do our initial tour in in Australia, and right from the get go, we're selling stadiums out. I mean, the brand was strong enough. It'd be cool for you guys to do this a live show, you know. And and uh, we're not athletes though. You know, we don't. Just go, we don't necessarily have the skill. Go, go buy the athletes. You guys got the personality, so and just intermix it into your show. I'll help you do it. So, so we go. We go into Brisbane, and I'm thinking, oh, we're not going to have any. Pe-. But the brand's big enough. Sells out. Eight thousand people. We do another night. Sells out. We go to Sydney. Eighteen thousand people. Sells out. We go do another night. Sells out. Was this because nobody had ever done anything like that I in think, Australia? I think the brand was pretty big. It was on it was, the show was so popular. I feel like yeah. that it just promoted it without even and and plus this guy that was running the live show knew how to tackle the mainstream audience that hadn't seen it. Okay, so it was both things I think working, and you know there's the underground swell that was pushing, pushing, and pushing, but then we were able to dive into the. I think the people that had never heard about it, they saw the commercial and said, oh, that mm-hmm. looks fun. Australians are different, too. Like That's where you guys should start. I, te- I told the Diesel Brothers, if they ever do a live event, you've got to... Because Australia, they're, they're fanatical about this kind of stuff. Yeah. In the U.S., not so much. And I don't know if you guys got a you know, following over there or not. We do. do yeah. Yeah, they're fanatical. It's pretty big. I think it's the third biggest. Really? Yeah, yeah it I seems like that. Australia is known for, like, their, they just love, like, motorsports and extreme sports especially, it seems like. We did Sydney two nights, and then we flew to Perth, which is it's like flying from San Francisco to New York. It's 2,000 miles across Australia. It's kind of where the, they call them bogans, which is kind of white trash is what they say. <laughs> but Daniel Ricardo's from Perth. We got a bunch of riders from Perth, you know, the F1 driver. So it's not necessarily true, but we uh, they put a fence around the, the bottom of the arena, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" And and he says, "They'll attack the the riders at the end of the show. They're just savages." And I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." Attack in a good way, like yeah, except- they don't they they just are pretty loaded and they like just bombard you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they want pieces of the storm, ramp. storm the jeez. <laughs> it started to happen. I mean, when the show was over and and they started pushing the fence down and wow. trying to come on, I'm like. Were you scared? No. <laughs> so that had to have been a pretty surreal moment when you're standing there and you're looking out at a crowd of 17,000 people because up until that moment, you'd never really seen the faces behind the views. And I mean, it's the same thing with us. You know, we have a video do really well. A million people, that's a ton of people. But then we have a meetup and there's 1,500 people and you're like, wow, this is a lot of people. And they know you. Yeah. And they know you. Exactly. So what was that like looking up into the stadium and seeing that many people there because of something that you'd created basically uh, it, out of thin air, out of thin air. But, um, you know, ours is online, but yours was through television and everything like that. Gratitude. That's how I felt. I mean, you know how it is when you're suffering through it. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you've got this as a reward. I was just grateful. It was amazing, amazing. And then we went to Melbourne, same thing, sold out. So, you you know, and then when we went to New Zealand, same thing, sold out, sold out, sold out, sold out. My daughter was with me, and this was our first year too, and she's like, please let me hit the road. That's what happened every single time. The kids would come over, 
spend time with me, and then they just couldn't handle it because it was my show. I'd just all right, put them at the top of the yeah. <laughs> top of the ramp and see how they did. You know, I mean, they'd figure it out. But Chandler hucked his first backflip off the mega ramp <laughs> when he was fourteen years old. That's he never even crazy. hit a mega ramp <laughs> on a BMX bike. Yeah, did he land it? Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah. Good job, Chandler. You kind of instilled this wildness in the kids, even with your garage. Chandler was walking us through the garage last night, and <laughs> it's he all was torn like, "Torn apart, but yeah, yeah." There used to be a foam pit right here, and then there was trampolines around here, and then there was a uh, a half pipe with a drop in ramp right here. And I was like, "Oh man, how old were you guys when you, when you built this?" And he was like, "I don't know, eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a mega ramp over there, and a full skate park, and dirt mm-hmm. jumps. So, yeah, and it was purely for the kids. Like I didn't really ride the stuff i just enjoyed at that point it was all business to me i mean right so it was fun to see them get into it so kind of going back to the tv show when we sit down and and come up with you know the different bits that we put into a video you know we've got a whole process to it where we kind of know you know this these are the characters uh that we have or this is what we want to do you know yesterday we took the shifter cards out on on the desert and we you know, kind of had a plan here. What, what was the process like for you guys coming up with these shows? Because you guys were doing extreme stunts and multiple ones in one, right? So would you guys sit down and you would just throw ideas at the board and then have to have people come up and, and man up and do the stunts that you'd come up with? Or Are you saying for the TV show or for, for the, the live? For the TV show. It was all good on paper, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, but that group, I'm sure you guys are the same. I mean, we we would feed off each other. So yeah. so we would set. I would set it up that way. I'd sit there and I'd say, "All right." I would kind of just create a little bit of a maybe a through line. Mm-hmm. And Jeff was really good at this too. And then everybody would start because everybody's super competitive. I don't know if you guys are like that. Health, healthy competition, not like mm-hmm. I you know I want to beat them at all costs. But so we'd put an idea up on on the board, and then all of a sudden, everybody, if it was a good idea, would just start you know, pushing and pushing and pushing, just talking. But that starts them thinking, and it would always escalate. You know, if it was a good stunt, it would escalate 10 times more. And as you guys know, sometimes it works on video, sometimes it doesn't. But you've got to do, you know, you got to do, out of everything you shoot, you might use 30 40%. I don't know, maybe you guys, yeah. your ratio is higher. I don't that's know, where a little we less were. even. Yeah, so it, it, was, it was definitely a formula of how it would feed. And then... I'd say the initial conception was those there was roundtable things that we did for the media piece, and then we would take the media piece and that would create the discussion to have around the live stuff because you could take only certain things and implement them into the live show, and there was only a certain amount of props you could put in the live show to make sense out of it. So, did you ever have issues with people step not wanting to step up with no. if you ever came up wow. with an idea? Not th- not with that group. I feel like even <laughs> that's wild. You would step up. Oftentimes, and and you, I mean, I've seen plenty of videos of you doing. I'd always get hurt though. I was I I lacked a lot of the talent. Of those guys. <laughs> you just had the balls. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would go for it at times. Did the ideas change when you had no budget or a very low budget to a very high budget? Obviously, they did. But I think what started to happen is we started to afford. We could afford permits and you know infrastructure, like to jump from building to building. That that's the kind of stuff. That, that's good. What I picture for things. a higher budget yeah. thing, yeah. like the building to building jump. Yeah, it's I, whatever. When we had budgets, it seemed like it was a lot of buildings and helicopters, really? and and then 
when we didn't, you know, you're just like in the backyard playing around, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny, you know. We, we were we, grown men acting like we were ten, so that's how we Same are. With us, yeah. <laughs> um, to like what you're saying about like the through line, that's how we kind of look at things too. We're like, you know, we don't really know how this is gonna go, but I know if we just kind of get us all in this situation and everyone's in a good mood and everyone's having fun, it just always. And not always, but it seems like most times just something really good happens, you know? It just it that, comes off very entertaining. That's the formula, for sure. Yeah, but everyone's got to be in a good mood and be, like, down to have fun. Yeah, the second somebody comes in and they've got a bad attitude, it, yeah. it, it kills it. Yeah, Definitely. it's all about energy. Back to the budget question, I don't know if this is, like, too much, but uh, when you were, like, working with MTV, what kind of... Would they give you a pretty large budget per an yeah. episode, or it I was, would assume? It was a half a million. Jesus. Wow, I was... Wow. That's a lot. And would you guys spend all of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the thing about MTV is, is like, we were such a, I, I mean, I give them credit, right? Um, I was just talking to the guy that used to be the president of MTV last week and our executive producer at MTV, and I said, how in the hell did you guys get permission for us to do this? And they said, we just lobbied, you know, and we had an attorney on site with us when we were filming, and the attorney had to say, yay or nay to the stunt and I can't tell you how many times and the attorney was definitely on our side because we like you know we knew we had to kind of be politicians a little right. bit and so we would come on let us do it and we you know bow to him a little bit and he'd be on the phone with all the MTV attorneys as we we're getting ready to do the stunt and saying you guys got to allow him to do this and he would get it done how yeah. often would you guys have to cut an idea because it was too reckless not very often. Really? really? There was one time that um, it got kind of ugly, but it was Andy Bell that we had, like, these Ford Explorers. And it was when, I, I think it was the first time I was jumping the semi, we were out at our truck yard. The first time? <laughs> and, and yeah, we just literally pulled a truck out of the yard and put a horrible roll cage in it. Okay, so you did put a cage in it. <laughs> kind of. I mean, if, I, if it flipped, I'm, I'm yeah. going to pay a heavy price. But... It wasn't that big. It was the rally jump. And so I just pinned it and hit it. And so, again, it escalates, and everybody's like, I'm jumping it. So Andy jumps in the rental car, and he's rallying. In the rental car? Yeah, and it's Ford <laughs> Expedition. <laughs> and he, uh, it's got camera gear in the back and the whole deal. And he comes off. I guess it was a little wet. Andy was a re- really good driver, you know. A little wet. It kicks him sideways. Totals the car. For sure. And, I mean, he was so lucky he didn't get hurt, and he had Jolene in the car with him. And that attorney comes flying out, and he goes, yeah, mother effers, we're done. I fight for you, I lobby for you, and then you idiots. And then we're like, okay, I guess we can't be as stupid as we always are. (laughs) And Andy, you know, he asked me, he goes, should I do it? And I told him yes. Because you had just done it in a semi. Yeah, so I had to take the heat from the attorney. (laughs) But anyway, he worked it out. Did you do anything that... You regret it after doing it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the stupidest one, I mean, and it changed my life, was uh, when I flipped out of that loop on a big wheel. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but Chandler was hit, and Bob Burnquist was there. Do you guys remember him? He's a professional Oh, yeah, I have seen that. And we just put this loop into the mega ramp. God, that was bad. And Chandler and Tyler, my nephew's Chandler, again, I think he's 14 years old. He goes, do you think I can do it, Dad? And I said, yeah, you got it. So, you know, not knowing how deadly that thing was, if you made a mistake and he whips around it, no problem. And then Tyler does it, whips around it, no problem. And I thought, oh, I'm going to do it because that'd be fun to do during the show. I mean, this is as haphazard as we were. It wasn't like everything was organized. 
And uh, Bob Burnquist comes over to me and he says, hey, Greg, those things are deadly. You know, this ruined Tony Hawk. Like it shattered his pelvis when he did it in the Jackass film. And he was bringing up all these bad experiences <laughs> people had had on these. And it was a big one. I think it was 18 feet tall. And I said, I got it. I got it. And he, just, he goes, don't lean back. You know how you, you're so used to hitting ramps and you, you lean yeah. back to flip. Mm-hmm. And I. <laughs> all of us. Yeah. Yeah. You lean back. And I came into the face and I think it was just natural. I just a little bit. I leaned back and I saw the front wheel left and I said, I'm dead because it just walked it right out of the loop and I flipped me enough and I could just feel it. And I'm trying to save my head. I just yeah. didn't want to hit my head. And you did that. So I hit on my pelvis, shattered it. And I'm laying there in the, you know, Australia, it's socialized medicine, so they don't really know what they're doing. And they're trying to, they got this drug that's like you take it immediately and it kills the pain. It's called a whistle. And I take the whistle and I'm still like in such horrible pain and they're trying to move me and I can just feel my bones grinding because oh. it's just all shattered in here. And I broke my back. I broke my, my scapula and I broke my pelvis and they're trying to pull me out. And I'm, I'm like, you guys, something's wrong. So, and I pass out because of the pain and my nephew comes over and he goes, and then Travis comes over and says, I don't know what the hell's wrong with him, but you guys quit moving him because he can handle most of this, but this is bad. And so anyway, that the, the painkiller gets in they put me in the ambulance take me to the er and my nephew's with me i don't know why he ended up with me but we're sitting in the er and i mean i am dying and they wouldn't like tend to me you know it's just socialized medicine <laughs> like god bless america in a lot of ways <laughs> and uh this guy's like oh you know let's get him up in the x-ray and i'm like i can i can feel my my pelvis grinding on itself and i basically had ripped my sacrum out of my pelvis so I was, you know, luckily it was attached to my spine, so I wasn't going to be paralyzed, but it was pulling the lower half of my body apart. And I get on the x-ray table, and I said, you guys, this is not going to do any good. I'm telling you, something's really wrong. And they look at it, and they said, yeah, it looks like you separated your SI joints. And I said, something's, it's more than that. My nephew's fighting with him, fighting with him, and said, you guys got to do more because there's something else going on. So they shoot me with the, the glowy stuff, you know, so that you can tell. And they just saw the spider fractures in my pelvis. And the, the doctor said, just give him morphine and put him in intensive care. Because <laughs> you can't do anything for it. You can't cast it or anything. Right. So they put me in intensive care. And, I mean, it's an, it, again, it's socialized medicine. I can't stress this enough. There's no private rooms. You're, you've got curtains. And there's six <laughs> other people in there. There's an old lady dying next to me. There's a guy that just was in a fight and stabbed some dude, and the, and the guy stabbed him. Is he and all, and No, and all night long I'm hearing, I oh, am yeah, might. He tried to stab me, but I got the best of him, that dirty <laughs> bastard, all night long. And I'm just like, this is pure hell. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't move, and I had to pee. And this poor little girl that was my nurse, you know how you, you know, like my little penis had just shriveled right back up into my spine. And I got to pee so bad. And so I'm like trying to lean over and there's a bedpan uh, and she's grabbing a hold of my unit and trying to pull it Jesus. out it so I could take a leak and, and I'm like I couldn't get anything out and I said just please cath me just do something yeah. but it was on and on and then it even got worse after that but how long did that last for um it took me almost three years to recover wow yeah uh. I wouldn't say until about three years ago I could run I thought I could never run again and I've been able to repair my body and get it all back going. I was kind of stoked on that. 
That yeah. was the worst one, though. When you were laying in that bed, were you like, fuck this? <laughs> I'm never doing that again? No. <laughs> you, you didn't, that didn't cross your mind? Not at that point. I think in the earlier days, if I'd have done that, yeah. Ah. There was so much energy at that time, man. We had a lot to accomplish, so I just wanted to get better. So injury was a second thought? At that point. So when you guys were creating these these episodes in the movie and, and doing stunt after stunt, did you feel like you constantly had to one-up yourself? Yeah. And what did that ever worry you? Yeah. That it would get to a point of yeah, where no do you return? Go? Where do you go? I think that was what was good about the film background. Because then I started to get artistic. You know all those collages where it looked like everybody's going to collide? Yeah. I started developing more of that and developing, trying to develop story more. and So we didn't have to kill ourselves. And yeah, so right. there's a little more longevity in it. We always say you can either spend more money, you can get more creative, or you can just be more reckless, yeah. basically. Yeah, there's that's fantastic. Th- three, ways, got it. three ways to create and build. So Bra- yeah, Bravo. Yeah. You guys have figured it out. <laughs> See, we we uh, unfortunately don't have the massive budget, and we try not to hurt ourselves, so we have to get creative yeah, at times. We got to film a video the week, the next week after. So that's one of the things too, you know. Where we're luckily we have the dynamic of the group to really lean on as a crutch yeah. for that. That's what I think when I watch your guys' stuff. You're you're more like the jackass guys, where you've got a very good relationship and communication, and that's what your audience is feeding off of. You you guys have got longevity in what you're doing. Well, Hopefully, you. yeah. Hey, that's good to hear because you know how many times people ask us, what are you going to do when that ends or or uh, what happens when YouTube drops you guys? We're like, I don't know if that's how YouTube works exactly, but... You'll find a way. Yeah. What are you going to do if your boss fires you? I always say, I don't say that, but I, I think that I'm like, I mean, you could get you fired the next day and also that. like... With AI and technology, your job could be very replaced, you know, and you went to college and spent all this money. <laughs> um, but one of my questions is, so, like, was it hard having – you were the director and the producer behind a lot of this, if all of it probably. Um, was it tough, like, getting everyone to, like, rally and, like, getting everyone on the same page? And, like, I feel like that would be – there's so many people that you're – you got your lawyer sitting there watching. You got all these camera guys. You got MTV. You got the talent. You got probably someone building something. Like, is it tough to manage all that and get it all to come together? We had a really good team. A really That's what made the difference. But, you, you know, when trying to get people to come together is, it's, we talked about this when we were in the snow cave. I, I can't remember who I was saying yeah, it to. I was, I was like, you guys have got it stay together like you'll figure out a way no matter what if you can just stay together the thing that happened to us like that that killed us it wasn't the lack of ideas or i thought was kind of the you could see the writing on the wall that that old guard was going away and the new guard was coming in um is everybody started to get really selfish the second that that's all it is there's no, it, it's you you do away i was watching chandler came in last night and i was watching drive to survive and that Toto guy, you know, if you guys watch that, anyway, the Mercedes guy, the principal, he said something that really resonated with me. He said, you know, here's a driver, Lewis Hamilton, that's making umpteen hundred million dollars a year, you know. He's the most recognizable driver in the world at the top sport of the world. And this this team manager is saying, don't have ego and don't be entitled. Work together. Mm-hmm. Everybody pull their weight. The thing, yeah, you'll never run out of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and even then, like, Bill, I know you guys are, like, on the trajectory to have a live show at some point. I know you are. 
that, that you've got to learn certain lessons and you've got to be able to, you've got to get past that. Cause then what happens? So, so say like you've got this, this, this publicity or this fame from YouTube, right? And it's a certain amount. I had this conversation with Sparks and it's like the second you develop or go into a live show and that's where you're going to make more money, right? Cause each night, and I'm not afraid to talk about the numbers, but in those Australia shows when we were selling them out, it was a million a night. So we were spending quite a bit on the operations, but we were making almost half a wow. million to 300,000 a night. All of a sudden your life starts to really change, right? And people are making more money and it's not just a group of friends. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have women <laughs> and I don't, I love I love the ladies and I think, you know, or whatever, somebody in your life. But if they get in your, or whoever in your life gets in your ear and starts saying it's all you, it's all you, and then you start believing that, it's going to die. Yeah. It's, remember, it's ego and, and you don't have to depend on those things. You've got to just work together and, and support each other. I will never forget when we were sitting in the snow cave and you told me, like, uh, you said, you guys all need to stick together. That is the number one thing. If you guys all stick together, you'll you'll be just fine. You You've know, done it. Try you want to know what happened the next month? <laughs> what happened? I don't know what the whole story. You want to well, tell me? We can only talk so much. Yeah, we'll it, give you the spark notes. Basically, of it, what you just said, someone got in someone's ear. I I talked to him about it, and oh, uh, did. okay. I mean, yeah, we're we're cool now, and everything's fine. But I mean, definitely. I don't. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but. So how was that with uh, Travis Pastrana obviously being the superstar? Travis has no ego. It doesn't seem like it. Is right. that why he's he's continued to be as, one, relevant as he is still after such a long time of being in the spotlight? Yeah, like Travis has no ego. Knoxville has no ego. Um, I wouldn't say Tremaine has an ego. So people like being around him? Yeah, they just encourage and build up. And I mean, Travis is magic. And I think that's why I wanted to build the brand around him. I just, I could not believe somebody is this good and this humble. I could not believe it. It was like a gift. <laughs> Rare. Yeah. Yeah. And he's continued to be magic yeah. till today, obviously. And when Travis is in the spotlight, Nitro's in the spotlight. It's amazing to me. And even Knoxville, like I, I went and watched the Jackass, whatever. whatever. Or. Yeah. Whether you, it's gross or you're not into it or whatever, but we Knoxville. Again, he's magic in that because he just rallies everybody together. He makes it fun. He invites the audience in. I mean, without him, it would not work. Do you feel like it was just Travis and then and then B characters? Mm -hmm. Do you wish that it would have been more more building more Travises, or there is no way that you could it build more Travis together? Probably he, he, Travis couldn't always do everything, and it was you had to put an ensemble cast around him to support what was happening, and especially for the brand to continue. You had to create a window, and that's why we had the Thrill Billy B team, I call it. In the live show, it, you know, I, we run it like a sports team, and we, we go six deep on some of the, the characters, right? I mean, you've got your top FMX race, riders, but if one of them gets hurt, I mean, you can't replace a Travis. If he gets hurt, you just stick him out there with a microphone because mm -hmm. people just want to see him, but that's not the case now. So you have these characters that are not as big as Travis, but they are very very talented individuals and that's what's been beautiful about nitros it, it is just a place for athletes to show their gifts because for action sports that doesn't exist it really doesn't unless it's a red bull situation 
I mean, on a on a grand scale, I feel like, you know, the whole X Games thing is dead. Yeah, it really has right. just. Well, even Nitro's taking a hit, and so it's like, there will come. Maybe it's you guys. There will come another group of kids or people out of this vein that lights that again. It will happen. It's just in a, in a and that's what happened with us. I felt like we lit that genre again. It was there. We just took all the assets, organized it, and put it together. It, it's interesting. Like I look at like the, the people that are kind of in action sports, or I'd say you guys are adventurers too. I, I don't know where to put you, but there's not really anybody. I mean, the Deegans, and then you got J- uh, Chad Reed doing his thing. But those guys are racers. Right. They're not really antics, right? So you guys are really the only ones around doing antics. So maybe it's your guys' turn to come in and take possession of that. It would be interesting to put you guys on a on on something, you know, and see where it goes. So well, yeah, thank you. That's uh yeah, appreciate that. Big compliment coming from from you especially. All right, guys, brief break in the podcast from a word today's sponsor, Manscaped. Fellas, have you started spring cleaning yet? The carpets need cleaning, the drapes need dusting, and your lawn needs mowing. It's time to clear out your winter bush and join the other 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code wide open. We all know manscaping can be a task, but Manscaped has you covered for the full package you need for spring cleaning this year. The Performance Package 4.0 is the only tool you need to keep your boys looking and smelling like the fresh tulips your partner wants. To start off your spring cleaning, use the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to get the most precise shave on your hedges. It's waterproof and equipped with an LED light, so you know it'll be a major asset in your new shower routine. Clear your holes and smell the fresh spring air with the Weed Whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer has proprietary skin-safe technology, which will help prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. After clearing your nose, make sure to get rid of that foul ball smell with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer to keep your balls ready for action. Next up is a Crop Reviver spray-on toner for your boys down under. Finish off your grooming routine with the Plow 2.0, the perfect razor for the finest shave on your face. Because if you're using the Lawnmower 4.0 on your balls and your face, I mean, come on, guys. The start of spring also marks the start of Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35. Manscaped is committed to giving support to fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of the We Save Balls initiative. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code wide open at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code wide open at manscaped.com. It's time to throw out your old hygiene habits and upgrade your life with Manscaped. Back to the podcast. With YouTube, people just want to see the real you, right? So when you have somebody like Travis... How much makes him as special as he is? Is it more his personality that he can, you know, talk to the camera and be like, that was crazy, or commentate somebody else doing something, or the talent? That's a good question. I mean, it, it, it both works. That's what makes him unique. It both works simultaneously in conjunction with each other because he's got mad, mad talent, and he's, he's a show-off, and so he, he just loves, like, feeding off of, you know, people in audience, he does better for sure when there's an audience. It, you know, Travis is like, I think his number one thing is his heart. And what I mean by that is it's, he's, I've never, ever come across a human being that is more determined than him. We have been in the most hairy, death-defying situations, and he somehow finds a way through it. 
like there's there I just recount like mainly the base jumping stuff. There were just situations he should not have survived. And he's just got this never say die mentality. But the uniqueness of him is there are some athletes that are that way, but they can't talk. They can't tell the story. Yeah. I think that's what made Evil Knievel so amazing. He was the same thing, right? I mean, he wasn't so diverse. He did one thing, but he could tell the story. And he had heart. The guy went for it. As long as he could, he went for it. I remember I was super inspired by him, and so was Travis. And it was like, he can't carry on. You know, the longevity of him is impossible. It's going to die at some point, right? So how do we put this cast together so we can continue on? Because he can't do everything. Right. But but the talent the talent versus the showmanship, I, or I mean the, the stunt side of him, he's just a weird unique blend of all of that stuff. I mean, he, he, those people don't come along, but once every hundred years, you know, the thing about it that people don't understand is without the cast, the sporting cast, he would have been nothing. Right. And he knows it. It was the cast too, in conjunction with him that made it so powerful. Cause he tried a couple of times to go do it on his own. It failed. Hmm. It's so tough when you don't have anyone to like bounce off of. Well, and I think the people were just there trying to make money off of him. And I think, mm-hmm. I think he trusted me, so I think he did. TP, if you're listening to this, I think he did. I'm sure he did. Man. So you've always just kind of had a knack for uh, adventure. You were talking about, I guess, these hairy situations and all that. Chandler was telling me most of his, like, most valuable life lessons and the things he's he's learned uh, have come from just being on some adventure with you and, and, <laughs> and winding up stranded in some desert or... <laughs> Yeah, he was trained for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm as bad as I used to be, but people didn't like going riding with me because... You push him outside? Yeah. I comfort just, zone? I just had to take it further and further and further and further. And then, you know, you're stuck in a situation with no <laughs> fuel and you got to hike out 20 miles, and which has happened many times. And you had to sleep in the desert and I was down in the dirt. And I mean, not that we were, our life was, I mean, there were times, I guess, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, I think... One of the things that I know this kind of sounds silly is being in different countries and doing these antics. And then all of a sudden you got the police breathing down your throat or you're involved with some sketchy people. And like your life is really hanging in the balance. It's Mm -hmm. not so much the stunt. It was more of that. And I don't really want to talk about like (laughs) a lot of that. You get kind of used to like living, uh, you just like adapt to like stress, you know, or like stressful situations. We were talking about that. Last week when we were in a snow cave, just and not to like toot our own horn, but we're just kind of used to like having pressure on us. Like, it's like, I need to film this video. I have to edit it. I got all these other things I need to do in this time and it needs to be done and put out. And you just kind of get used to having that pressure and you adapt and you adapt. Diamonds are formed under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um, yeah. Could you tell the story? You're talking about sleeping on the desert when, when you're doing the Baja 1000 and you crashed. Yeah. I think that was an element like, Travis talks me into that, and I I grew up racing, you know, and I know how to ride okay, and, you know, the, the Baja was always, I love the Baja, I love, love, love Baja, but it's like a, Ricky Johnson used to say this, it's like a, it's like a girlfriend, I love you, I hate you, I don't want to be with you. Toxic. Oh, will you please <laughs> come back? Away. Yeah, it's that. <laughs> I don't think we'd finished, no, we finished it on the dirt bike once, but we'd never finished it in four wheels. And so it was just, he had to write a $300,000 check because he burned a car down the year before. 
So he's like, both of us are just kind of done with the cars because they're just too expensive. It's like, let's grab bikes and go for it. And he goes, let's Ironman it. And it was the longest one ever. Yeah, you guys set like the world record, didn't you? Yeah, well, I'm, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know if it was whatever, if the longest or this or that. But I get down there, and honestly, I felt like my whole life was preparing me for that moment. <laughs> like, literally, the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours I'd spent on a motorcycle racing and all this insanity we'd done overseas and Erzberg and Romaniacs and here I am in Baja I feel like I'm in my backyard and uh, we take off and you know we KTM brings me a bike that was like the Millennial Falcon it was a piece of crap <laughs> we had to put together the night before it was somebody's practice bike but the good thing about it is it had a works motor in it and it had a factory suspension and they were at the time they were probing these new front forks you know that could just take heat a lot of heat for a long period of time and so that I had a lot of things going for me accidentally wasn't necessarily but again like I was just built to endure you know and I wrestled through high school and college and I know how to suffer cut weight and just get the living hell beat out of me and we take off I think I was 38 Travis was uh, he would have been 25 24 and he's, you know, he's he's a, a massive talent. I'm not that, but I can suffer, you know, that's it. So he takes off. We're supposed to ride together, and right from the get-go, he just bolts. I'm like, I am not doing that. We have 1,300 miles yeah. to go. Your goal is to just finish. Yeah. And and I know that he, he's just too young, you know. He can't think through, like, pace yourself. Yeah, he's so crazy. He gets, I come up on him, and he hit a booby trap. Like in the first 10 miles, he did crap already. I'm like, dude, you got to slow down. He goes ahead, and then we catch him again, and he's taking a dump, you know, off the side of the road. <laughs> he's just, he's so nervous. <laughs> and then he just takes off again. And so, it, you know, the gap started, and then there was this insanity of this. The cartel at that time, the, the, whenever the U.S. economy is killing it, it's always dangerous in Mexico because there's more drugs flowing in. And so the cartel was there in force. They actually had a truck in the race. <laughs> the whatever what? family that runs. Yeah. So they're they're chasing advertising. They're chasing yeah. the the riders. They're waiting for their truck to come. So they're chasing the motorcycle riders, I think, just screwing off. And I saw the helicopter and they were kind of as we were heading up to Mike Sky Ranch and there's these big power lines. And I didn't see this. But he, later on, I mean before the truck showed up. They hit the power line, crashed, and it killed everybody in the helicopter. So the poor Mexicans, they take the bodies back to the Morgan or in Ensenada. They didn't realize who it was, and it was this, you know, the head of these families. So they came in. This is why I'm racing. They come in and they gun everybody down, kill everybody in what? the morgue, and take the bodies out. What? Because they didn't want them identifying that the, that the copos were... had been killed. Yeah, it was insane. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... 
I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. And there was, there's military all over in the race course and everywhere. And they're hiding in the bushes. So we're racing through this because what they would do is the cartel would come out and they'd cut landing paths out in the middle of the desert. So they'd get a dozer and they'd cut these paths. However, they were smuggling the drugs in, you know. They would bring them maybe to the shore on the Baja and then they'd load them in a plane and run them over. We'd run into these guys out in the middle of nowhere with 50-gallon drums of fuel. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Oh, nothing. <laughs> They're fueling the airplanes. So when the airplanes would land, and they're probably bringing the drugs on. So we're watching this whole operation when we're pre-running, and I'm like, my buddy calls me that's in the FBI, and he said, be careful. The cartels on, they're crazy down there right now. So all that's going on. You know, I had a couple run-ins in the middle of the night during the race with the military with guns pointed at my head. I'm like, well, hold up, what? Bahamil, Bahamil. <laughs> we're racing. You know, we're not cartel. Can't you tell? Look at me. Yeah. And they would back off, and but it, it would happen if you stopped by them or whatever. So Travis is, is uh, we get into the, the night, and I think it's about 3 o'clock in the morning. And at this point, he's like an hour and a half ahead of me. He's flying. But I'm just, again, I'm just saying there's no human, it is not humanly possible to run like a national motocross race pace for, you know, 20 some odd hours. We get into this section. And I'm buzzing along, and the trophy trucks hadn't caught me yet. And that was always scary because they don't really care if they hit you. And you just try and stay ahead of the trucks. And they caught me at mile marker like 6.30 or something. So we were, and it was probably 4 o'clock in the morning the next day. Because they send the bikes out first. Right. So you're trying to stay in front of all the chaos of the trucks. And they told me about the helicopter crashing. And they said, the trucks are coming in on you. And, you know, just be careful. And I'm tired, and I'm seeing... Honestly, I'm so delirious. I'm seeing like, you know, ghosts running around. I don't really? know what's happening. Yeah, I'm freaking out a little bit. And I kept thinking I saw lights coming up on me. And that's always nerve wracking because you're irate, you know. And I'm tapped. I'm at 110 miles an hour down this road, you know, in the middle of the night. And, you know, I start to kind of, you know, lose focus a little bit. But all of a sudden, this truck just overtakes me. And it was Todd LaDuke. As he goes by me, he's doing a buck 40. And I'm doing 110. And I don't know exactly what happened. It was probably a blessing, but as he came in front of me, my light goes out on my bike. And I didn't have reserves on my helmet or anything. I just had the bike on the truck, or I had the light on the bike. Truck blows by me. And I, I honestly couldn't tell if I was upside down or sideways. I couldn't tell what was going on because my body was in such disarray of everything that just happened. And I hit a rock and it throws me down. 
you know, because my light's out. I couldn't see. Plus, there's dust. Mm-hmm. And I'm just following his light. I fall down. I kind of feel my body. It wasn't a bad crash, but I'm feeling my body, like, trying to make sure I'm all together. Again, all this suffering and all these races and all this stuff I'd gone through led me to this kind of this moment. I try and start my bike. It starts, but I there's no light. I don't know what to do. The, you know, I guess I start ripping it apart. And this guy starts flashing a, a flashlight at me. And these little Mexican family, had they'd had a camp right, or they had a camp right there. They were from a fishing village on the Pacific side. Just so happens. And they had, the woman was cooking dinner. <laughs> she made me empanadas in the middle of nowhere. And this little Mexican guy leads me back to his camp. Were you worried that it was cartel at that point? No, you can tell. Most most of them are good people. Okay. Like, you can tell this. Okay. We're yep. harmless. So I said, hey, I'm going to fall asleep. I'm gibbering Italian, whatever. They're, we're trying to communicate. And, um, I said, wake me up when the sun comes up. And I got a, I almost got like a 45-minute nap, and that made all the difference. So it was so serendipitous that that happened to give me that, because I wouldn't have stopped to give me that little rest. Yeah, I was going to ask what your longest break was, because you're like 40 hours all in on this race. Yeah, I mean. That's a long time just to be up. I mean, my longest break was maybe 10 minutes to that point, because you just want to go, go, go. And I get back in, and my pit was waiting for me, and they were terrified because nobody... My sat phone, I could only call back to Utah. I couldn't get my team. So I'm relaying back to Utah to call the team to say, look, I'm okay. Anyway, we get going. I start getting, you know, I'm so exhausted. My arms are jello. My legs were pretty good. My, I, I, I'm doing okay. When the sun came up again, I'm, I'm doing okay. And then I hear Travis is down. And so he had, and I didn't, I'm like, is he okay? Is he Okay. So I get into a section, they gave me an IV, tried to get me boosted, and I knew I was coming in on the section where Travis, in fact, I just went through this section again, this last Baja. He just packed up and took off because he was he, did, he was pissed. He didn't want to see me. It's really depressing when you, you watch the sun come up, you watch the sun go down, you watch the sun come up, and then you watch the sun go down. I've never in my life, but again, my whole life, I've been really good at suffering really good at suffering so i'd know how to suffer so it's just suffering so that last that last sundown was the worst yeah i, I started to basically have a psychotic break as you're tapped doing 110 down yeah Jeez. the baja and i'm and you're like what am i doing what am i doing i got three kids I, i'm <laughs> like you know this is insane but again i love it but it's insane were you thinking about quitting at all no way so you were like, I just, this sucks, but I don't really have a choice. At all costs, man, I'm finishing this. Because Travis and I made a $1 bet, and I wanted that $1. <laughs> <laughs> so you just, if the bike breaks, I'm done. I did, wouldn't, that KTM, that bike we put together the night before <laughs> was just unbelievable. Just kept going. Unbelievable. In fact, KTM spent a million bucks on a on a four-man team to go down there and race, and they spent, you know, they gave me an old crappy bike and some parts, and I got twice the publicity that their million-dollar team got. So anyway, um, I I have this psychotic break in this section, and I don't know where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to quit. I'm done. And and I, I thought I was lost, and I'm just like, I, I, you know, what am I doing? I pull up, and I'm 10 miles. I didn't know this, but I'm 10 miles from the finish. And one of the McMillan pit guys is sitting there, and he... 
and I'm, I mean, I don't know if I was balling or what, but I pulled up to him and I said, where am I on the race course? And he says, yeah. And he puts his arm around me and he goes, you got 10 miles. You're almost there. 10 miles. So I come in and I, I mean, it was so emotional and I, you know, into Cabo and into the finish and selfish grabs me and he goes, that was the fastest single run of the Baja Peninsula in the history of the race. And he goes, you just broke every record that used to exist. You are the iron rider. And I'm like, I mean, I was so emotional. I was like, what, what does this mean? I mean, nobody cares really except the Baja people. But to me, it was just like, yeah, you know, I didn't quit. Yeah, you go through so many experiences. You want to test yourself, go do that. And, and there's been guys that have ironmaned it since then, and I think they're more strategic, and I think they train harder. The only thing I got going for me is it's never been that long again, so I still have the record. I think people would beat it if it was that lame. No, no, no. No, you don't have to mention that part. <laughs> have you done it since? Yeah, do it every year. Every year? Yeah, Chandler and I raced it two years ago. I love it. I remember when we... I don't race you guys. to compete, but I just do it for fun. You said you were going to do it, so and we you... were excited to hear that Chandler was doing it. And we're like, oh, I mean, I don't think we could do it, but it's pretty cool to see that all age of you guys are, like, crushing that race. Yeah, you guys could do it. Just pick a vehicle and go for it, man. It's an adventure. Yeah, we could do it in our four-seater Razor probably. Yeah. <laughs> what do you... I'll pile in. <laughs> what do you guys... What take do you the do bus. For... What do you Dude, do for... He's so take... sick in the back. <laughs> Ken would be like, oh, my God. <laughs> that would be amazing, though. That would. Think about it. What do you uh, do for food in that? Do you eat or do you just eat little niblets of, like, granola bars? Or obviously you got a, a, a fine meal at the, uh, the, <laughs> with the campfire with those guys. but Of course, it's like it's like everything. We didn't plan really very well, so we threw a couple of Snickers in. Yeah. I mean, we were surviving on nothing. I mean, we would come into the pits and beg for food from other teams because <laughs> we didn't. Sometimes we'd miss our pit and blah, 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 blah. So just make it work. We did. I, the one thing I was really scared about was getting dehydrated. So I'm right. sure I was so always drinking. Back. I can go forever without food, but not liquid. So how many times have you done it then? I think like 10. Wow. Dang. Yeah. That's but, so impressive. But now we go down and do it. And it was like this last year we were down there. I mean, I'm truly just doing it for fun and to stay in shape and so forth. But. Chandler was running on a team behind me. You know, we got out in front, our team, and the guys that were on his bike weren't quite so fast. And so when the bike got to him, I just didn't want him catching me. And I got to one of the pits, and, and they the, the guys go, your boy is hauling ass. <laughs> you better get on it. And then Chandler came into a section, and I think he blew the bike apart. So <laughs> Baja, you always got to back it down to about 60%. So. It's a marathon. Yeah. Uh, what what was the story behind, or could you tell the full story behind uh, when you tried to do the barrel rolls, the most car flips on Nitro Circus? <laughs> the story behind it, it was well, it was wasn't it? No, it was you and uh, you and Street Bike Tommy, and you hit that jump, and you landed right on the the roof. That was that was Jim DeChamp and and Tommy. I'm the one that tried to set the the barrel roll thing. Yes, okay, barrel right. roll. What? But, the, but then the didn't flips. you have to? Go to, weren't you like really bad, badly messed up from no. that? No, oh, I remember. Well, that was Jim. Okay, yeah. so he was about. one that was in the coma. Yeah, okay. that was horrible. All right, just tell the story of, of <laughs> the barrel rolls. You were trying to set the world record for most flips in a car, right? 
Well, I'm, I'm just beat Travis too. Well, I'm sitting with Ken Block and we're talking about stunts we could do for the movie. And Ken goes, I think it'd be really funny if you tried to beat Travis's record. It was Ken's idea. Travis's record um, for the, the most rally flips. car. Yeah. And he did that on accident. He did though. It on a accident. record no one should really plan out to break. <laughs> yeah. And Travis was go I'm going to I'm going to put this up there. Travis was going downhill so he had more momentum and he was in a shorter car. Nonetheless, I thought I I thought I had it fast enough. I hit it at 110 miles an hour and I hit it so hard. It's an old crappy Mustang, you know, and it like I thought it sent my jaw up through the top of my head cuz the concussion there's no suspension on those things, and it was like a two-foot kicker. Yeah. And then everything goes into slow motion. You guys know that. And the second I do that, I, it was like an eternity. I, I was thinking the car wasn't going to roll because I went like this. And all of a sudden it hits. Holy shit. <laughs> it was so violent because that speed of throwing you, but it really, realistically... It's just kind of enduring the madness, right? It was, I was safe. It's not like a motorcycle or a snowmobile where you're exposed and you're going to get worked. Yeah, you're in a cage. Yeah, so I think my arms blew out and I was just, I've been practicing, reach in and grab and I flip and I mean, I, I just wanted it over. When it started, I'm like, well, this is never ending. And then, yeah, Travis ended up beating me, of course, you know, by a quarter of a turn. Yeah. Were you? <laughs> so you were like, all for nothing. <laughs> Were you pretty shook up then after that, obviously? No. Really, you were fine. Yeah, well, That's what I was oh. going to ask. I remember when you explained that. Jim and, was messed up. And right. you asked that, and you were like, was that, was that, that had to be the worst. And so, going back to when you did the loop, you know, uh, horrible, horrible injuries, a large set of injuries that happened, and, and a few other things that you did that maybe seemed less crazy than intentionally rolling a car that many times. But, and then you've seen that with other uh, characters on the show too. Some some of the craziest stunts end up just fine, and some of the stupidest little things end up with some gnarly injuries. Oh, you guys understand that? Oh yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's where the longevity comes from: is being smart enough to right. identify those stunts that aren't going to kill you, but they still get you. What's the worst ex- worst injury you guys have had? For me, obviously, just concussion, really bad. But one of the dumbest things that's. I, in my opinion, happened to us on accident, littlest things. Oh, was uh, we were having a good old fashioned birthday party, <laughs> you know, this is recently, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, and um, <laughs> somebody got a, a cake for Ken, it was Ken's birthday, right? So, got him a cake, happy birthday, Ken. We're all standing there celebrating, just got done singing happy birthday, yeah, and uh, I had the cake in my hand. Candles are lit. So I go to cake, Ken. With the lit candles. With the lit candles. And it was an ice cream cake. Rock hard. <laughs> add Rock, Rock hard. hard. We punched it after. We're like, this is not moving. <laughs> punched it, and you couldn't even see your knuckle imprint. You had no idea. I didn't think it through. I had a little bit of liquid courage, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't thinking straight. Still, so dumb. Candle to the eye. And he's got... Right into his eye. Wet candle, or wet wax... Oh, in wow. his eye then. Wow. The I thought I broke his nose. I did too. Because the cake was so hard. So it was like two things at once. And um Did it get his eye? Yeah. Vision. Yeah. It's it's what's a silly little thing. Scarred right? yeah. cornea. Yeah. Scarred my cornea. Can you see still? It's it's blurry vision out of that one. But I can kinda tell it's a little I gotta find the doctor. 
I'm sorry. Yeah. So but that, like, that, those little things. Just little like, things. How many times have you seen someone smash a cake or, or face cake smash someone on their birthday? Pretty normal. Yeah. yeah. You know? It just was a weird coincidence. Let me ask you guys something. Do you guys have, like, a methodology of what you're doing? Do you have, like, a, a statement that really pushes you along? Is there anything? What's something that motivates you? Not not to get, like, what organizes you or gets you excited about it? I guess it? we just like having fun. Like, it's pretty simple. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, you just like having fun and being happy. That's that's at least for me. I'd say yeah. pretty much all of us. The fun. Yeah, we got right. to make, like, our passion, you know, our job, you know, and some doing what we love to do. You get to go and hang out with your friends, and as long as you, you're filming it, and that's a day of work, you know. Right, that's fantastic. It's all about the fun. Yeah. We uh, try and keep it light, which is tough too, you know, because we're running a business and um, it's, there's we, some we struggles. Have, there's some struggles, but the more things grow, now we got overhead and we got, uh, we're a little bit older. So we have, you know, houses and cars <laughs> and these things and the lifestyle grows with it. So it's not all just sunshine and rainbows at the end of the day, like it used to be. But I think, you know, we all, we all have a pretty good grasp on that. A bad day at work for us is still a pretty good day, so it's keeping that in mind. That's fantastic. You guys got a good beat on it for sure. Yep. And we're pretty conscious not to run ourselves too thin, like financially, but also just with everything. Yeah. We we kind of know, we obviously know to grind, but don't run yourself so thin that that fun is being pulled away because you'll, you'll notice, you'll start to notice it when we do do that a little bit. So you have done it? I mean, but not like fully where we're like, we need to reimagine what we're doing, but just where we're like, all right, well, let's just make sure we're having fun still. You can get like doing too many things at once. That's probably what, and then that's just, you're not doing anything good. Basic Uh, principles kind of good. Yeah. Really is basic principles. Like I always say, you know, one of the best things is that every single one of my partners and my friends, they just all know how to work hard. You know, one thing I would say is it's always kind of good for you guys as you're going, like, just to map out a little bit, you know? Not that it has to be super strict, right. but... We, we kind of do, but... Yeah, yeah. Just where do you want to be and how you want to grow it and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got goals and and uh, a, a rough idea, I guess, of how to how That's to get good, there. Though. It is a big but part it's, of... It's definitely not, like, to the book, you ha- we have to do this to to achieve that. Which is yeah. the beauty of, I think, social media these days is as long as we're constantly grinding and constantly staying and doing good, making yeah, yeah, entertaining, but constantly staying aware of of uh, where the industry is going and and um, being able to evolve, being able to evolve and grow and reinvest. We we pretty much invest most of our money that the company makes back into the videos, which is, I think, in in my opinion, one of the make or breaks of why people stay relevant is if they're able to continue to build the brand, and we've managed to do that, which is crazy over five years. You know, it yeah. feels like we've been doing it for, <laughs> um, at, at moments, six months, but then yeah, at other moments yeah. it's like 10 years. We're like, man, we've been doing yeah. this for a while. Do you know, uh, one of the things is that, that I always try and say with people is like, looks like you guys have done it, you know, fell fast. So when things don't work, you get rid of them, and you put in the things that do work, what an audience is is gravitating to, what they're excited about, how you how you can get away with the stunner situation, and not kill yourself. You guys are figuring it out. We've learned that with businesses that we've started along the way too. If 
if they're not working right away, obviously it takes a little bit of time to get certain things off the ground. But like with this podcast, we we could see ourselves doing this for a long time, and we want to con- stay consistent with it. The the views are still there; people love it. We get a lot of great feedback from it. But then, um, so this is something that we want to continue to put yeah, our. This is a good our, one, right? Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is a good one. Yeah, we want to continue to yeah. put uh, our efforts towards the podcast, right? But then we had other businesses along the way, like we had like a cleaning products business, and it was just one of the things where, you know, you learn pretty quickly. Like one, you're not super passionate about it. That sucks. Then, <laughs> two. You know, the market isn't super stoked on it. So then it's not like you release something and then you get that instant dopamine hit of like, people love this. And then, yeah, I mean, seeing like the longevity of like, how long do we want to do this? Or we were pretty small back then too. We we didn't have the efficiency to our videos or any of like the C-Boys TV business side of things. And then we integrated that and it was just, it was a mess. And we really didn't have like a large following to even be dropping some product that we're going to be promoting if I, I mean in hindsight but i don't think we would have it any other way i no. mean yeah. obviously we learned yeah. you of all people could answer like you learn from your mistakes and like we were small so we bit on certain things that we were like this is awesome and then you know we look back on a year and we're like why did we even Dude. do that but what if we didn't you know there's yeah. so many youtubers yeah, that you go through it. are bigger than us and they started like a year ago like they're just crushing it. They're doing so so much. I mean, they're just they got more viewers, more subscribers, you know, whatever else comes with that. But like for us, we've just been learning as we go, and uh, I honestly wouldn't have it any other way because we've just same slowly every time. It seems like we're just getting a little better, and we just slowly master our craft, you know. And it builds in more our organic audience, for sure. You know, if you like. Just give people what they want, the main audience, mainstream audience, what they want. You'll get followers and views real quick, but it might not mean as much in five years. Well, you're not going to be passionate about it, and you'll you'll mm-hmm. fade away. You're not doing what you want. You guys are you guys are in a good situation. You had mentioned that one of the biggest things, or mo- some of the best advice you have for us is to stay as a group and stay together. What other things? As a content creator, can you look at us and be like, oh, this is um, this is working well. You should do more of that. Try and avoid things like uh, letting other people come into our businesses. What kind of advice do you have on that aspect? I'd say that's the number one. Protect it with your life, who you let in. Because, you know, you, you, you have gone through the experience already of how fast... You know, you've got to bring partners in to grow. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. Unless you be the right people. Yeah. And and sometimes if you put yourself in a financial bind, then you have to bring in a partner you don't want to. And that's horrible. You know, it's just like a stunt. Like if you're, you bring in the wrong person and they go and get weeded up and hurt themselves and then you got all that liability and you got to deal with them. And mm-hmm. you want to set up the right person to succeed in that situation. It's the same thing with bringing a partner in. I think that was the thing that we had a really close group of people and that was the thing that hurt us more than anything is bringing in these people that just, they so badly want what you have and they, they try so hard to break you up and pull it out. And you know, that bad intentions, the reason it's working is you guys all have good intentions and you're working good together. If you can just continually, like when you got shit that comes up, 
you guys want to kill each other, kill each other, but don't quit and figure it out. Find a way to, and it doesn't seem like you guys have that kind of thing, but I'm sure these, these little things building in the back that bug you. I mean, we have issues that pop up, but we handle them. Discuss them. Yeah. Always keep an open discussion and keep it in a place and protect who you let in and, and just, I, you know, as you're developing these stunts and these content pieces, it's like, I think it's going to be really fun to watch you guys. I think this is an interesting place. Like I'm, I'm watching Sparks. Like he does not want to get hurt. <laughs> He's not that kind of guy. It was really fascinating to watch how he he started going find dead bodies out in the desert and how people were so into that. Yeah. I thought, God, that's kind of clever. He's crushing it on yeah. YouTube and his rescue missions as well. Yeah, and he he just didn't want to get hurt. And he he likes equipment and. Mm-hmm. He's done a good job with it, and he's got a good group of people that are around him. Everything he's doing, the way he's building his business is fantastic. So There's, there's so many ways to do, you know, you can do, do it in so many different ways. I just, you're having fun. That's the most important thing It's going to keep you. If it starts to turn into a job, you know, and unfortunately when you get a lot of people involved, it, it does. But even then, it's not so bad if it's still, you get up in the morning and it's fun. enjoyable. And it just protect that with your life, like, I think that was the thing I, I just, I, I regret is that, you know, we, we got kind of bored, I think, where we were at. And so we so badly wanted to get into that live show category, which it worked, but we let the fox in the hen house. Right. And, you know, he started killing all the chickens. <laughs> mm. And, you know, it's still going through an evolution. Like, it's at a massive scale. It's got the most powerful partners in, in entertainment involved in that brand. And I'm grateful for that, but it, it's, it's like been 10 years of real difficult for me, but it's coming around. And, and so maybe that wasn't a bad thing that I let these people in. And you're no longer affiliated with them anymore. No, I am. I still own a big chunk of it. There's been such a turnover and, and I'm back supporting some of their causes and working in conjunction with them. And Okay. But I, I, it's interesting, a couple of these kids don't even know who I am that are involved at the company. Well, they're so young now, yeah. probably 16, real young Yeah, kids. they come up and say, it's nice to meet you, and I'm like, uh, yeah, nice to meet you too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, say anything. If you don't mind sharing, like, what are, like, some other mistakes or, like, failures that maybe, like, we could could learn from or other people listening at, back home could, could learn from, if you don't mind sharing, do you yeah. have any? As I go through it, I'm just like... People you let in, you know, fail fast. It's, I think it's important. Like for me, I'm a, I'm a super visual person. I think you guys are too. I used to have, I was kind of stupid, but I, it, I didn't know I was doing it, but I would, one of these walls in this old shop over here, I used to just pin. Vision board. Yeah. Everything on that too. wall. And I would, it amazed me that I go in and look at that. Everything yeah. on that wall was achieved. I wrote goals 10 years prior to 2003. And I achieved every one of those goals. I think it's important to, you've got to set a standard for yourself. And I know you want to have fun and and it's like sometimes the structure kills it. You want to squeeze it to death and choke it, but it's good to have an idea, at least a vision. Because if you can actually see it in your mind and you're going to get there and everybody's pushing that rock up the hill together, I can see where you're headed. It's, it's It's to the life tour. It's maybe there's a, another offshoot on a network. Because you kind of need that, you know. Sparks is worried about that. 
that he needs maybe some kind of a network piece that it reaches more of a mainstream audience and you still mm-hmm. contain your YouTube piece and then you've got a live element to it and you've got a product that you're selling in conjunction with it. So if that's what you want to do and you want to build the company, if not, and you want to stay where you're at, you're kicking ass. Leave it there. Don't get, don't get crazy with it. One of the things with me with Nitro from the very beginning, and I've actually gone back to this as we're starting to build these other brands, is the, it, with my kids, the number one thing I wanted to teach them was to not be afraid. That was the number one thing. So I wanted to inject them into situations where they could overcome fear. I mean, Chandler's been lit on fire <laughs> on accident. He's gone through multiple brokenness or that. And he, you know, as he's a 20, like you, are you guys all the same age? Yeah, we're all in the same. Pretty much. Realm. Yeah. So he's been able to push through a lot of that. My daughter's, I mean, maybe not necessarily in business, but even with the athletes, it was like, how do they deal with fear? And now it's coming back to this thing. That's really what Nitro stands for is to overcome fear. That is the number one thing. And I'm good at that. So what is it that you guys want, you know, as you're, as you're growing, what is the number, what's the theme of, I mean, from what I'm hearing from you, it's to have fun. Yeah. That's the number one thing. Be happy. Life to the fullest. Yeah. And uh, another thing that we go by is like, we we're versed at a lot of things, but we're not professionals at any of them. Perfect. And we, I love relaying that to the people watching and you can go out and do it too. You don't have to be doing backflips on a dirt bike. You can just ride on a trail on your dirt bike and have just as much fun. And so we're pretty big advocates for that. Yeah, and then then all of a sudden you can start to partner with uh, some other people to open up yourselves up to another audience, and that's great. Yeah, you you guys are focused. Just you, it's obvious you're having success, right? I just think as you go into this next dimension, the next ten years is going to be fun to watch and see what happens because you guys are dedicated. That's that's yeah. the number one thing. You've got that. You're dedicated. The rest of it you'll figure out. I am not a smart person. I know it. <laughs> I just lower my head, suffer, and go for it. And, you know, I've had a fantastic life. Fantastic. I can't even believe what's happened in my life if I would have ever thought that this could have been achievable. So, you know, stay with it. Don't quit. I think that was the best advice I got. Just don't quit. <laughs> Thank you. I think we can follow that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's some wonderful advice from all around and some wonderful stories as well. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a lot for us to take in, obviously, the advice to us, but I think just to anyone listening. This is my favorite saying of all times go fast and take chances. <laughs> I like that. We like that don't, too. Don't take the safe road. There's no fun in that. There's no fun. It's true. There's no true. learning really in that either. No. It seems like everybody like around us. You know, we're from Minnesota, kind of just smaller area. A lot of people just kind of take the traditional. I mean, pretty much everyone takes the traditional route, minus us. And and uh, well, there's one character you guys came in touch with that didn't take the tra- traditional route, Levi. Levi, oh, exactly, hundred percent. Right. I love him. Yeah. yeah, he's such a good guy. Yeah, he's great. He's a brute. Yeah, we had him is on our podcast. T- actually, is he still t- tough as hell. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't talked to him for years. He's kind of just built for it too. Like oh he's gosh. he's just like you can tell he's in the gym working out, and like he he's just like a, and he's the definition ball. too of people like, going, "Oh, what you do is so crazy," and he's sitting there and goes, oh, "I mean, it's what I do." <laughs> yeah, he's humble too, like Travis. Yeah, he's like the snowmobile he's version the of Travis. One hundred percent. Yeah, on our podcast, he goes. 
when I filmed with Travis, I crashed, and he said, man, you're lucky. You're built like a bowling ball. (laughs) (laughs) You can just roll out of things. He was rubbery when he was young, but so stout. And that was one of the things, like, when I saw Levi, I'm like, we are pulling him in because he is perfect. Right. So durable. I think I told you guys, I, I drug him to Romania, and his whole goal was to keep Jeremy alive. It wasn't even to race. It's just that Jeremy was out of shape, and I knew he couldn't do it. And Tommy, he, he was just this, the wingman to <laughs> pull their bikes up and help him get through stuff, and he did it. Wow. Beast. So what's some kind of adventure that we could go on that you think is like a must and that you you know would get us into, one, a, an uncomfortable position, but two, something that would just make amazing content? Chandler, should we take him on the six-day trip? Baja. Baja or the six-day trip? The six-day trip will change your life. What what's the six-day trip? Is that what the KTM's named after? Oh, or, okay. No. <laughs> what is the six-day trip? <laughs> Doesn't even want to tell us. Well, there's, Otherwise, there's we're not no, going to. There's no plan. We have a razor. We have mountain bikes. We have our good old legs. We have rope. And we have a couple granola bars. Yep. Holy wow. You are, you might have just explained hell to Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, and then what? Where do we start? We just, I know this. I usually do that it. way. I do it. I do it in Utah because I know. Like, it, you get down south, and it's just so insane. But it's so insane. Of any place I've been in the world, it's super complicated down there. And I mean, talking, like, from Moab to to Kanab and St. George, and then you go down to Monument Valley and into a place called Escalani. There's this place called the Grand Staircase. And there are thousands and thousands of deep crevasses and crazy stuff that... It just, you constantly use one vehicle to get on an adventure. And you try, and just because I've been down there enough, I can usually get into it and get out. But sometimes you don't. <laughs> and Chandler's pretty tough. He's been through a lot of this stuff. So we started this in 2018. And, <laughs> and we just go for it. But you talk about footage and a situation and a, a life-changing experience. Or Baja. Baja always... Always uh, delivers. Like I said, it's like a good girlfriend, bad girlfriend. But either one of those. Baja might be hard to film, though, or more difficult to film. You don't get enough of the context, I feel, of how crazy it is. It's hard. It is hard. The canyons seem to lend themselves because you're hanging off of ridges, and there's all these crazy stories that go in with it. That sounds brutal. We should do it. It's fun. When would be like a good time of year to do that? Spring. Spring. Not too hot. Yeah, it's like in April if you want to go down. Is there snakes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's cougars, there's snakes, there's coyotes. I'm, I'm sure there's wolves now because they're making their way down here. Oh, I don't like that at all. But we, yeah, you rarely have it. You know, they don't want to mess with you. Okay. Are you, uh, do you still stay in contact with like much of like the original Nitro Circus? I stay in contact. Like TV cast? I stay in contact with Tommy and Dusty and Travis and, um, Jeremy a little bit, but it's everybody kind of, you know, unfortunately we, we all went different directions and, and I think what's happening is you kind of get this, everybody misses it. You know, they all tell me that that was the greatest time of their life. And that was for me too. It was a great moment. And I feel like there's another one brewing, you know, and you just kind of got to let it come and go as it is. is, And 
and evolve with it because you can't force it all the time. Right. So you you clearly still have like the drive for adventure. Do you still feel like you have like the desire and like the drive? Like you want to keep you want to create more content and I love make ex- another show or yeah, I love exploring. I am. I think that lends itself to stunt stuff. But Travis is the ramp guy. I wouldn't say I'm the ramp guy. I like the the Erzberg stuff and Romaniacs and Bachs. It's more you just get into such insane situations and it's more it's longer and it's more difficult physically, I feel. So that's fun for me. Nice. Well, I think uh we don't want to take up too much more of your time no, before I, you lose I, your voice. I feel like we've talked for a long time. Yeah, I can't believe it held up. Is, yeah. Yeah, I thank you for doing this, seriously. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming. I apologize. We should have planned it out and taken you guys on some more more stuff. The Palmer guys are fun though, but it's a lot of ramps. Just beware, they're moto guys. I and they ride. Yeah, all right. So I was thinking. Yeah, they they don't let them. They got like a couple train sections. Don't hit it. <laughs> You're gonna die. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's what we got. Evan. Evan's the ramp guy. He Is loves. He? Yeah, he yeah. loves that kind all of right, stuff. Good. Yep. Yep. Anyway, um, I mean, we can't say thank you enough, obviously, for doing the podcast, but for, for everything creating well, the, the show that kind of built the foundation that our our channels. Uh, built on oh you honor me thank you i appreciate you guys let's uh let's plan the sixth day i'm I'm gonna leave it to him that'd be fun i i'm down are you guys open towards the, the end of april at some point we might be yeah we could probably figure something out it's gonna yeah you just gotta block out a week so yeah but you'll get two or three shows out of it all right, all right. Sparks, sparks wouldn't do it oh really yeah i think it's too even better for him. well the next time we see you might be for that trip yeah until then, thanks for everything. Thank you guys. Hey, thanks for coming out. Everyone follow Greg on, on Instagram. What is your at isn't it Nitro Hamster? Yeah. Well, I think I think it's just Greg. It's G R E G G G O D F R E Y. There's a four G's in it. Just remember that. Four, four G's. G's. Do you want to plug anything else? Uh I think at this point, you know, Godfrey Proof Nitro, it's all good. Thanks all right. guys. We appreciate yeah. it. We appreciate well, thank you. you guys. Thank you. Later. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.